بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so this is our second lesson on the book al 40 hadithan fi fadli la ilaha illa allah and in the opening lesson uh, we started with the first hadith which is under the heading that the first obligation is la ilaha illallah this is the first of the obligations upon mankind to simply affirm that none has the right to be worshiped except allah alone and under this hadith there were many issues that we looked at from them was the dispute between the people of the sunnah the people of the truth the people of the jamaa and the people of ilmul kalam in their various groupings who basically claim that the first obligation is to uh, <coughs> investigate and to research and to analyze and to observe and to convince oneself with rational arguments that there is a creator and we said that this and, and obviously there are some extremes amongst them as well some of them said that you start from the position of doubt shak and then you convince yourself that allah exists and this is from the extreme from the extreme views amongst the people of kalam in any case the point being that that which is correct is that allah subhanahu has put the fitra within every single child every single human and as long as the fitra is intact then a person uh, simply testifies that none has the right to be worshiped except allah alone and if the fitra has become corrupted because of the environment that a person lives in because of the upbringing because of doubts which have come to a person then there are rational arguments which are found in the quran which are employed so this was so this was the point in the title that the first awwalul wajibat the first obligation is to say or to testify to la ilaha illallah and so under this was the hadith of muadh bin jabal radiyallahu anhu and in this hadith uh, muadh bin jabal is sent to yemen who are from the people of the book and in that respect the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave him advice as to how to call to these people and so he commanded him to begin by calling them to the testimony that none has a right to be worshiped except allah and if they accept that then to call them to establish five prayers in the day and night and if they accept that then to uh, then that should, that they should pay uh, zakah and which is taken from their rich and given to their poor So on the basis of this hadith we extracted you know 7 8 or 9 or so benefits and we spoke about this hadith for most of the uh, previous lesson and uh, the main issue that we take from that hadith then 
is that La ilaha illallah is the first and the greatest of all obligations. This now brings us to the second hadith, and the chapter heading is Bab Addawatu ila la ilaha illallah wa annaha sabilul falah. Second hadith then, chapter heading is making da'wah, calling to la ilaha illallah and that this and, and that this la ilaha illallah is the path to success. La ilaha illallah is the path to success. So the evidence, the hadith under this chapter heading has come from Ash'ath uh, who said حدثني شيخ من بني مالك بن كنانة قال رأيت رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بسوق بسوق ذي المجاز يتخللها يقول قولوا لا إله إلا الله تفلحوا. So in this hadith, narrator he reports uh, that. He saw the Messenger of Allah in a marketplace. In a marketplace. And there are other narrations uh, to this hadith as well. And in those other narrations, it, it explains that he was on a riding beast. And as the Messenger of Allah was, walk, was riding through this market, he was saying to the people, Qulu la ilaha illallah. Say, none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. Tuflihu. And you will prosper, you will be successful. And so in those other narrations, uh, it is explained, and, and these narrations are brought by Ibn Khuzayma and others, that there was also a man, وَرَجِلٌ يَتْبَعُهُ يَرْمِيهِ بِالْحِجَارَةِ وَيَقُولْ يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ لَا تُطِيعُوهُ فَإِنَّهُ كَذَّابٌ and so in some other narrations it explains that behind him was a man who was following him. Wherever he was going, he was following him. And he had stones in his hand and he would throw them. He was throwing them at the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he would say, O oh people, do not obey this man. Do not obey him. For indeed he is a liar. He is a kadhab. And this man was Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab. So, from this hadith, there are a number of uh, benefits. First of all, we see that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he used to go out to the people into the markets and invite the people to say, La ilaha illallah. And those people in his time, they obviously knew the meaning and the significance and the implications of La ilaha illallah. Those people were not... Were not they were not foolish. Uh, from, from the aspect that they actually understood what the messenger was calling them to. To abandon the worship of all other deities and to worship only Allah alone. And they also knew what was at stake as well. Because this society, the Arab society, the Quraysh and the, many of the other tribes, they had built... Uh, on the basis of false gods, false deities, they had built a social structure, an economic structure, a political structure. At the top of them was the Quraysh. And around the worship of these gods, which were kept in the Kaaba, when tribes would come and you know, 
give veneration and devotion and worship to these gods. There was a whole enterprise around the worship of these false deities. And so if the people were to say La ilaha illallah and worship none but Allah alone, this whole enterprise would collapse. And therefore, people would lose many things. They would lose wealth. They would lose status. They would lose power. They would lose uh, trade. And so, when these people heard the Messenger of Allah saying, Say La ilaha illallah, these pagans of Quraysh, they knew exactly what this meant. They knew the meaning of La ilaha illallah. Because they already accepted that Allah is the Lord, He is the Creator, He is the Provider, He is the Sustainer. He gives life, takes life, benefit and harm is in, in His control. They knew all this. So they knew the meaning of La ilaha illallah, that it is not just to affirm a Creator, it is to, to worship only Him alone. To make dua only to Him alone, to make tawakkul upon only Him alone, to love Him with the love that is due only to, to, to Allah and to fear Him and to hope in Him and all these other things. So this call meant that the hearts of the people become attached to their Creator and their Lord to take Him as a deity and to become unattached from all of these other false deities and all of these other false gods. So they knew the meaning of La ilaha illallah. And so the Messenger would go out into the markets openly and call the people. And this is from the great, tremendous uh, stations in that it is strongly recommended and it is a, a great virtue to, to go out and to advise the people, to go out into their, the places where they you know, gather and they move to and fro and to uh, advise them sincerely in these places. And that's why you see from the praiseworthy things that we find today, alhamdulillah, that the people of the sunnah that they perform is that they go out and they have da'wah stalls in the various cities, in the major cities, in, in London, in Birmingham, in various parts of London, in Cardiff, in, uh, you know, now in Leeds, inshallah ta'ala, Manchester, in all these places, going right into the heart of you know, the marketplaces. And inviting people, speaking to people, clarifying their misconceptions, and founding it all upon this issue of Tawheed, calling them to single out Allah with worship. So, first of all, this hadith indicates making da'wah to La ilaha illallah. Making da'wah to La ilaha illallah. And this must be upon, this is qualified upon ilm. And yaqeen. Because in the ayah in the Quran, قُلْ هَذِهِ سَبِيلِي أَدْعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ عَلَى بَصِيرَةٍ أَنَا وَمَنِ اتَّبَعَنِي Say, this is my path, I call to Allah upon basira, upon basira. And the scholars explain that the meaning of basira is ilm and yaqeen. Ilm and yaqeen, knowledge and certainty. So, so long as we have knowledge and we have certainty, we have ilm and yaqeen in the issues that we are speaking of, in the matter of tawheed, and 
you know, we proceed upon this basis, then alhamdulillah, this, this is a praiseworthy thing that we call to people upon ilm and basira. But it is not praiseworthy that we delve into things in which we do not have ilm, we do not, do not have yaqeen, we do not have basira. And we delve into side issues that, you know, which, which are kind of murky issues like politics and things of that nature. These, these are not the affairs that we, that we start with. Because these are murky, you know, uh, things can be false, you might consider them to be true. Things might be true, you might consider them to be false. Things quickly change, something, you know, is taken as a fact and then we know it's the greatest of lies. This is the nature of political issues, political discussions. And so when we call to Allah, it is upon basira, it is upon insight, it is upon ilm, it is upon yaqeen. And this starts with the issues of tawheed that we have a firm grasp and understanding of Tawheed and the various issues that, that you know, branch off uh, from that. So, this is the, the benefit of da'watu la ilaha illallah. Secondly, we see in the hadith, the messenger of Allah, he said, tuflihu. He told the people that you will be successful. Success, al-falah, wal-fawz, in this life and the next. And so this shows also from the means of da'wah and from the method of da'wah is that when we call people to Islam, we inform them of the success that they will, att- that they will, att- that they will attain in this life and the next. That they, will be, that they will achieve the serenity, the itmi'nan, the serenity of the heart in the life of this world. That there is no serenity or peace or calmness of the heart except that it lies in worshipping Allah and making dhikr of Allah. And we convey this to the people and we tell them that, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, in all of your pursuits, you know that money does not bring you satisfaction, neither does your spouse, neither does your children, (coughs) neither does your job, neither does your status. And the evidence of this is plentiful all around us especially amongst those, both amongst the Muslims and non-Muslims, uh, amongst those who are non-Muslims, we see uh, affluent people, rich people, stars, celebrities, and we see them uh, having everything in life, and all of a sudden you find that they just commit suicide at the age of 41 for no apparent reason. And all of this is because uh, after they've experienced riches, and all the pleasures and the pastimes and things of life, and they've exhausted everything by the age of 30, 40, there's nothing really left, uh, nothing really left in life. And because the heart is not finding satisfaction, then these people just go over the edge and they they commit, commit suicide. And so the examples of this are many, the point being, that when you well, part of calling these people is to tell them the truth and the benefits of the truth, which is falah and fawz, uh, success in this life and the next. And success in this life is serenity, peace, calmness, all good, and you know hayatun tayyibah, like a goodly, goodly life, a meaningful life. Uh, you know, through worshipping only Allah alone, and in the hereafter there is eternal paradise. 
so long as they avoid the major sins, so long as they make tawbah, so long as they make istighfar, and Allah is all forgiving, all merciful. So we convey, this is part and parcel of calling to Allah, that we tell them that you will be successful in this life and the next. Uh, and not just, you know, not just to informing them of the truth, but of the benefits of the truth as well. And also the benefits that we take from this is that we see, look at how the efforts and the struggle of the Messenger of Allah in calling to Allah, in that he would bear this harm from the likes of Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl and other than them, who would physically try to harm him, throw stones at him. In other occasions we see in throughout his life, that on one occasion, and you know, various, both, both the Mushrikeen and other than the Mushrikeen from the Ahlul Kitab, they conspired to try to drop rocks upon him, upon his head, to kill him, and you know, attack him in his house in the thick of night, and all these things we see that they, that they tried to do. So, this illustration here, this hadith here, is an illustration of the effort and the zeal and the striving in calling to Tawheed, in calling to Tawheed. And... In this again we see that it is only the people of uh, Tawheed, the people of the Sunnah, the people who adhere to the way of the Salaf and who, who call to Allah upon this manner, upon this methodology, that only they are the ones who bear the harms, they are the ones who bear the harms that come from the people in calling to Allah. As for others from the Jama'at, from the politicians, from whether we look at the Tabligh or the Ikhwan, we see that in principle they don't call to the Tawheed of the Messengers. They call only to believe that Allah is the Creator. And as a result they don't face any harms. What harms do they face? Because nobody disagrees with them. That Allah is the Creator, Provider, Owner, Sustainer. They don't tell the people not to worship other deities. And so therefore no one will really oppose them. And likewise with the Ikhwan because they are only interested in gathering large numbers of people so they can involve them and use them, manipulate them for political ends and political goals. Likewise, it's not from their way to warn against grave worship in their societies, to warn against grave worship in their societies, or to educate the people in these affairs because they're just after numbers. And so therefore, they do not receive enmity from the people because they are not calling to that which if the people truly understand, then those with vested interests will show enmity to them. So they don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't call to this. So therefore it shows that the people of Tawheed, they have patience, they strive, they have zeal in calling to Allah. And they do this in order to advise the people and guide them to that which is best in this life and the next. So this is hadith number two. Calling to Allah... And to, to la ilaha illallah, and that it is the path to success. This now leads us to hadith number three on the virtues and the excellence of la ilaha illallah. And the heading is Bab fi an fi anna la ilaha illallah, sabab hidayatil qulub, that la ilaha illallah is the reason or the cause of the guiding of the hearts. How are the hearts guided? How is a person's heart guided to the truth? It is when it, it is through La ilaha illallah. When it understands and comprehends the meaning of La ilaha illallah. Now this hadith is an interesting hadith because 
we'll mention the uh, hadith first of all from Ata bin Yasar who said that we met Abdullah bin Amr bin Al-As radiyallahu anhu uh, and I said qultu akhbirni an sifati rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi at-Tawrat I said to him tell me what how is the messenger of Allah sallallahu how is he described in the Torah how is he described in the Torah we have to understand and remember that in the Arabian Peninsula and especially around the city of Medina in the surrounding regions there were large numbers of Jewish tribes many of them were actually Jewish tribes and they had settled in the region after migrating from from further north because after the sacking of Jerusalem in 70 AD uh, the the those who actually accepted Isa alayhisalam from Bani Israel they migrated they, they they left and some of them migrated south into the Arabian peninsula these were believers from them were believers and um they mingled and they intermarried with the arabs as we learn from the history books they actually in, mingled and intermarried with the arabs so they were arabs they became arabs through through intermarriage and so many of them were were in places around what later became known as medina it was known as yathrib before that and uh, so so with them they had the torah they had the torah and in the torah there was the description of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and so the, the, the amr bin abdullah bin amr bin al-as was asked about the description of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in the torah so he said qal this is abdullah bin amr qal ajal he said yes wallahi innahu lamawsufun fi at-tawrat bi ba'di sifatihi fi al-qur'an he said yes by allah Indeed he is described in the Torah with the descriptions with the same descriptions with which he has been described in the Quran with the same descriptions with which he has been described in the Quran and it is said and then he starts mentioning the uh, text from the Torah and so he says ya ayuhan nabi inna arsalnaka shahidan wa mubashshiran wa nadhiran wa hirzan lil ummiyin so this is now in the torah quoting from the torah so this is the torah that they had in that time in the 7th century after isa alayhi salam and so this torah would obviously have been written as well it was available in arabic as well as hebrew and um, so Ya ayuhan nabi o prophet indeed we have sent you as a witness and as one who gives brings good news and as one who warns and as a protection safety for the ummiyin for the unlettered people for the unlearned people and then he says anta abdi anta abdi wa rasuli you are my servant and my messenger sammaituka almutawakkil i have lay i have called you almutawakkil the, uh, the one who entrusts 
ليس بفظ ولا غليظ ولا سخاب في الأسواق. You are not one who is harsh and stern, and nor are you one to use foul speech or to raise your voice in the markets. ولا يدفع سيئة بسيئة. Nor is he one who repels an evil with an evil. He does not repel evil with evil. وَلَكِنْ يَعْفُوا وَيَغْفِرُ Rather he pardons and he forgives. And Allah will, ne- will never take him. وَلَنْ يَقْبِدَهُ اللَّهِ حَتَّى يُقَيِّمُ بِهِ الْمِلَّةَ الْأَوْجَاءِ And Allah will not take him until he corrects the distorted religion. So he will correct whatever religion has been distorted then Allah will not take him until he has corrected all of that. And this now is the shahid. This now is the point of evidence in the hadith. بِأَنْ يَقُولُوا لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ So meaning that in the Torah, they were told that this servant, this messenger will come and Allah will correct by way of him the distorted religion. The distorted religion. And he will do that with the people saying, La ilaha illallah. وَيَفْتَحُ بِهَا أَعْيُنَ عَمْيٍ وَآذَانَ سُمِّنْ وَقُلُوبَ غُلْفٍ And he will open by way of it eyes which were blind and ears which were deaf and hearts which were veiled. Which were veiled. End of the hadith. This is reported in Al-Bukhari. So we see from this hadith that there are a number of things from this hadith. And one of the main things here is the actual prophecy, the foretelling of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the Torah. And this is something that we know in the Quran. Allah mentions about the people of the book, the people of the scripture that they know the Prophet, they know him like they know their own sons. Like they know their own sons. Meaning that they know that he is the Muhammad and the Ahmad, which is written in their books and which their Prophets informed about. And all the Prophets, they informed uh, about the Prophet from the time, we see from the time of Ibrahim making dua, for the city of Mecca, for its inhabitants, for safety, sustenance, and to make people flock to this city from, you know, likewise Ismail, there are prophecies from him. And when we look into the Torah, obviously it is distorted as we have it now, but when we look in versions which were accessible to Arabs and to Jews and Christians who actually became Muslim after Islam came, and they were people who knew Syriac and Aramaic. They knew these languages. And they, they had access to Hebrew. They knew Hebrew as well. So they had text in that time that we, that we don't have now. And which have undergone change. And there are clear evidences of this, of this fact. So uh, we see in this hadith that uh, Abdullah bin Amr bin al-As, when he answered, he said... He said, yes, in the Torah, there is a description of the Messenger of Allah, the same as what we find in the Qur'an. 
The same as what we find in the Quran. So how is the Messenger of Allah how is he mentioned in the Quran? And in this respect, we go to Suratul Araf, Suratul Araf, and in Suratul Araf, Allah Azza wa Jal, this is verse 157, 158 in Suratul Araf, and in this surah, Allah Azza wa Jal, He says, Those who follow the الذي يجدونه the one whom they find مكتوبا عندهم في التوراة والإنجيل the one whom they find written written with them in the Torah and in the Injil so here are some descriptions النبي الرسول النبي الأمي messenger prophet unlettered and that he's written with them in the Torah and the Injil what are his attributes? His attributes, Allah he mentions next. He says, He commands them with good and he prohibits them and he prohibits them from he prohibits them from evil. He makes lawful for them all that is tayyib, the, the tayyibat, the wholesome, pure, good things. And he prohibits upon them those things which are from the khaba'if, the inherently evil and filthy things. وَيَدَعُ عَنْهُمْ إِسْرَهُمْ وَالْأَغْلَالِ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ And he removes from them the, the burden and the shackles that used to be upon them. Meaning he removes the, the burdens and the shackles of the of the law that they that they that they uh, doctored and you know which they invented and they put shuttles upon themselves, he removes that from them. Then it continues in the next next ayah. فَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِهِ وَعَزَّرُوهُ وَنَصَرُوهُ وَاتَّبَعُوا النُّورَ الَّذِي أُنْزِلَ مَعَهُ أُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ And it is those who believe in him and honor him and respect him and aid him and follow the light which was sent with him, they are the ones who are, who are prosperous. Now this is a command to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu This now is an evidence that the Messenger is sent to the whole of mankind. This is a refutation of the Yahud and the Nasara, those who claim because there are groups amongst them, there are those who say he's a false prophet. And there are those who say, well actually yes, no, he is a genuine prophet because the evidence is clearly established. But then they say, he was sent only to the Arabs. Yes, he's a prophet, we accept the Quran from God, but this was only for the Arabs and for nobody else. But here the Messenger of Allah is ordered to say, Inni Rasulullah ilaykum jami'a. O mankind, I am the Messenger of Allah to all of you. And this is a refutation of those who claim that he was only sent to the Arabs. And then he continues, الَّذِي لَهُ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوْ هُوَ يُحْيِي وَيُمِيتِ فَآمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ النَّبِيَ الْأُمِّيِّ الَّذِي يُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَكَلِمَاتِهِ وَاتَّبَعُوهِ Now, 
This description in these three verses of the Qur'an, you will find that in the Torah, and specifically in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, this is a book in the Old Testament, uh, from the prophet Isaiah, and in chapter 42 specifically. And in chapter 42, there is actually many things which are impossible for you to interpret them to anyone other than the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And in this chapter, in uh, this chapter Isaiah 42, um, it begins, and obviously you have, we have to go back to the Hebrew, and we find that the name Ahmed is actually mentioned in the beginning of this, of this chapter. So the English translation, as you know, uh, it's going to lose a lot of the a lot of the meaning. But at the beginning of this chapter, the, the, it is it says, "Behold, my servant! Behold, my servant!" This would be Abdi, Abdi, and before that, it says Ahmed, Ahmed. But either due to tampering and with the text, two of the letters have been changed, and it says Atmak, Atmak, when it should be Ahmed. But those two letters, the ha to the ta and the 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 uh, dal to the meme, in Hebrew they are very very similar in the way that they are written. Very very similar in the way that they are written. It's like uh, if you had a scene and a sheen, but without the dots, they'd look almost pretty much identical, right? So some letters in Hebrew are so similar that it's it's very easy to actually make a copying mistake and put, you know, the ha as a ta and the uh, dal as a mean, right? So it says atmak, when actually is Ahmed, Ahmed, verily Ahmed, my servant, Abdi, whom I uphold, meaning whom I have, uh, my chosen, my chosen, my chosen is Mustafa, Mustafa, which is the name of the messenger of Allah, and Mukhtar. Mustafa, in whom my soul delights. And again, now you can see that as you translate, you start losing the actual, uh, you know, the original uh, meanings. I have put my spirit upon him. I have put my spirit upon him, the ruh, which is Jibreel, alayhi salam. And we see in the Quran, نَزَلَ بِهِ الْرُوحُ الْأَمِينَ The ruh al-ameen, he descended with it. Ala Upon your heart, that you may be from those who mubin In a clear, conspicuous Arabic tongue. Indeed, this is in the earlier scriptures, referring to the Torah and the Injil. That indeed this is in the early scriptures. This is it right here. That... I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will... Now look at this. Now remember what was mentioned in the hadith. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Right? That's what the Sahabi mentioned. What was in the Torah in what they had access to. Laysa bifadhin wala ghalidhin. 
Right? He's not someone who shouts and raises his voice in the streets. Noisy, stern and, and, and harsh and things like that. Uh, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. The coastlands, they are waiting for his law. This is a reference to, uh, you know, on the other side of the Red Sea, Abyssinia and those places which are on the, you know, the various coastlands. And then it continues, thus says God the Lord who created the heavens. Link this to the verse, right? In the verse, what is, what is the, the verse which I read just now, what it says, it says at the end of the verse, uh, Say, O mankind, I am the messenger to all of you, the one to whom belongs the dominion of the heavens and the earth. There is none worthy of worship except he. He gives life and he takes life. And in, in this passage, there are all the similar things. There's correlation between all the things mentioned here and the things which are described in, in, in this verse. It says, for example, um, I will give you a, as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Nur. That Nur is mentioned in the verse. Mentioned this verse in the Nur. Those people who follow to open eyes that are blind and to bring out prisoners from the dungeon. What does it say in, in the hadith? Closed blinded eyes. And to bring out the to bring out the prisons from the dungeons, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Meaning that to take people out of the shackles. People who put themselves in prison like shackled and whatever else. And likewise here we see uh, the aghlal, the, the isr, meaning that the burden and the aghlal, which are the shackles that the people have put themselves into, to bring them out of there. And I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. What were the mushrikun worshipping? What was in the Kaaba? Idols that they used to worship besides Allah Azawajal. And then it continues, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. This is a reference to the Qur'an. The Qur'an, what the message came with. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. The Qur'an is recited everywhere in all corners of the, of the earth. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. Let the desert, the desert, right? Now the desert, this can't be a reference to Jerusalem because in Jerusalem there are figs and olives which grow, there is you know, greenery, right? This, this is the desert, desert. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voices. The villages that Kidar, Kidar does inhabit. Let the inhabitants of Sila Sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. This now is explicitly referring because Kidar is the second son of Ishmael. Kidar is a reference to a tribe. And as you know, the practice is that when the, the tribe name and the location would be made the same, right? So for example, Kidar, you know, it means 
the tribe Kidar, and that place now is known as Kidar. Or for example, Taiman, Timan, right? This is a tribe that, that's also from Ishmael and the location as well. So it says here, let the villages that Kidar inhabits, let them rise. Let the inhabitants of Sela sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountain. Do you know that Sela is a mountain just by the, the, the Prophet's mosque in Medina? It's just nearby. It's literally, it's probably not even a, a, a mile. You can see if you go to, if you go to Google Earth and you home on onto the Prophet's mosque, it's just there's a small mountain range just in the distance, probably like a mile, if, if even that, right? And from them is a mountain called Sila. Sila, and you can actually find it if you go to Mount Sila, Medina, you'll find it. And it says, go. To, they will go to the mountain tops and. Uh, Shout from the top of mountains out of joy. And we know that when the Messenger when he made Hijrah and news came that he was coming, they actually went out. The people of Medina, the Ansar, they went out joyous, waiting for the Messenger of Allah to come. And the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal, he cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. In, 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 the, in, the, in the language, in the Torah, there's a certain type of language that is used. And what it means is, for example, it might say, for example, that the Lord came from the, uh, that the Lord, that the Lord goes out like a mighty man. What it means is, is that Allah is bringing His Prophet or His Messenger out with force. But it, but it says that the Lord came out. This is like an expression that you find often in the Torah, it's like a language of, of speaking. It doesn't mean that Allah Himself, it means that you know those whom He mobilizes to, to come out. But it's ascribed to Allah. Right? This is just a, like a type and style of language. And then it continues, I mean, there are many other things, and here it is. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guard them, I will guide them, I will turn the darkness before them into light. Right, so again you see the correlation now between what was mentioned in the hadith and what's in the ayah, taking them out of darkness into light. And uh, to the end, they are turned back, and as for those, uh, uh, they are turned back and utterly put to shame, who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. So meaning the pagans, the mushrikun, they will be utterly, they will be repelled and put to shame. They will be humiliated. And we know that the messenger of Allah, he was victorious over the Quraysh. And, you know, they were, they were, uh, you know, they were, they were, uh, the messenger was victorious over them. So you can see from all of this, there is, there is uh, a lot more here. And... There is even more, something even more explicit in some of the other books, like for example, in Habakkuk, which is another book of the Old Testament. And I read here from a, a text, which is from a book written by a Christian doctor physician, who used to be in the time of um, Harun al-Rashid, which is in the early 3rd century after Hijrah, right? which is around the... Uh, which would be six, 
uh, seven, eight, ninth century, ninth century Christian era. And so he actually became a Muslim and he wrote a book called Ad-Din Wad-Dawla. Ad-Din Wad-Dawla. Religion and State. And it's actually proof for the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he had access to Hebrew, Aramaic, and likewise uh, to the Arabic, you know, what's in the Arabic as well. And so he's quoting here what is in Habakkuk, uh, section 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Habakkuk 3, verse 3. And in there he says, uh, Indeed, Allah came from Tayman. Tayman here is a reference to Tima. It is north of Medina, slightly north of Medina. Walqudus min Jabali Faran. Min Jabali Faran. Al Quddus in those times, now we know it's, it's Al Quddus meaning the name of Allah who is sanctified, but in those times it would, and in that language in Hebrew, it would, ref, it would refer to uh, someone who is righteous. Righteous. Someone who is righteous. It refer to a person who is righteous and and like you know, holy, so to speak, as they as as they say, as they they often translate this, someone who's righteous. And so he came from Jabal Faran, Faran, Faran. Here is a reference to Paran. Paran. It's actually originally is Faran. This is a reference to the Hijaz, right? If you go back in the old dictionaries, you'll see that Faran or Paran is. The, that which runs on the side of the, the, the sea, it is the Hijaz. But there's something very specific here. It says Jabal Faran. Jabal Faran. Faran, it is also said that this is a reference to uh, Hajar and Ismail. Because Ismail, because Far, Faran refers to Far, Far, which is one who is fleeing, one who runs, and one who is fleeing. And Faran is the jewel. Faran. This now is Ismail and, 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 and his mother. And as we know that uh, Hajar, she ran between uh, Safa and Marwa. And so the connection between the Jabal and Faran here is very significant. Because either it can mean Safa Marwa, or it can mean possibly the Mount Hira. Right, the one, the, the mount, the Jabal, and so he says here that the the Al Qudus, meaning the righteous one, he came from Jabal Faran. Lakad inkashaf, lakad inkashafat, or inkashafat al-Sama'u min Bahai Muhammadin. This now is explicit mention of Muhammad. Now, the name Muhammad. Wamtalaat al-Ardu min Hamdihi. And the earth becomes full of his praise. Right? And then it goes on. I mean, it goes on. It's quite lengthy. Uh, mentioning about Noor and things like that. And then it mentions again uh, his, his name a second time in another place. A bit further down. Uh, Muhammad again in the second place. So the point being that Muhammad is mentioned by the name Muhammad explicitly in the Torah. And likewise in the Injil we see that uh, in some of the, there's a reference to, you know, in, in, in the translation, the comforter, 
the, the paraclete or the pericletos as, as it is in the Greek. Now here, uh, the, the Christians will come back and say, oh no, no, in the Greek it means this and it means that, whatever. But the problem they have is that we are not dealing with the Greek. We want to go back to what the original Aramaic and Syriac, what that says. And so when you translate this word, paracleto, paracleitos, back to the Syrian, the, not the Syrian, the Syriac or the Aramaic, it is Mohamma. Mohamma. This is, this as you know, is Muhammad. Right? Or, or it can be the, the, the one who is praiseworthy, most praiseworthy. Again, this would be Ahmed. Right? So the point being, so this is one of the things that we are taking from this hadith, is that the messenger of Allah Sallallahu his name, his title, his name Ahmed, his name Muhammad, his descriptions, Al-Mustafa, Abd, one who is praised, he is mentioned in the Torah and the Injil. In fact, all the prophets, you find there are other examples as well, uh, Hosea, Mika, Zephaniah, in all these books, in that time, because we know that this author, this uh, author of this book, Ad-Din Wad-Dawla, he actually quotes from all of all of those uh, prophets. Now we don't find that in the in many of those things in the Torah that we have with us today, and it's even further lost in translation. In translation, but in that time, they knew full well the Yahud and the Nasara. They, as it says in the Quran, they knew him, they know him like they know their own sons, that he was indeed a prophet from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So this is his description. But the shahid, the point of evidence in this hadith, is that this prophet is going to rectify the distorted religion. The deen of the Yahud, deen of the Nasara, was a distorted religion. The Yahud, they put shackles upon themselves with invented laws and rulings that you know weren't revealed upon them. And the Nasara had distorted their religion. They you know, worshipped others besides Allah. They worshipped the cross. So this messenger is going to he will rectify and correct the distorted religion. In that they say, La ilaha illallah. So, what this means then is that this messenger will come and he will come to them as a mubashir and a munzir, one who brings good news, one who warns them. And he will be a protection, a safety for the the unlettered nation, which is the Arabs, because he delivered them. And, you know, from misguidance, he will save them by way of Tawheed. He will deliver them from shirk and save them by way of Tawheed. And he will be one who relies upon Allah because he's mutawakkil. He's one who relies upon Allah. And his adab, his manners will be lofty. He will not raise his voice. He will not repel an evil with evil. And so all of this is from his, dis- uh, from his uh, description. And we see how, how will he rectify them? By way of La ilaha illallah. He will make them say La ilaha illallah. This is how he called the Arabs. He called them to La ilaha illallah. He rectified a nation of who was in Jahiliyyah. And then he turned to the Yahud and the Nasara. And he brought them to La ilaha illallah. And told them to desist from worshipping Isa and his mother and you know making them lords and de- making them deities besides Allah Azza wa Jal. And likewise to the Yahud. And he 
rectified them and what they had distorted and fabricated and the, the changes they had made to the Torah and you know all of the traits and characteristics for which Allah had rebuked them and censored them and this shows this proves that a distorted fabricated religion cannot be rectified except by way of Tawheed except by way of the call to Tawheed because Tawheed is what rectifies the hearts and in turn, it is what rectifies the limbs. And also in the hadith, it mentions that the messenger of Allah Sallam will not pass away, will not die, until Allah has completed the religion by way of him. And that's why we see in the Quran, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلِيكُمْ نِئْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينَةِ This day have I perfected my religion, perfected uh, perfected your religion for you and completed my favor upon you and I am pleased with Islam for you as a, as, as, as a religion. So again, this shows that the hearts and previous religions, distorted religions are not rectified except by way of Tawheed. And so historically speaking, we see that all false religion is based upon two Two deviations. The first is either ghulu in the righteous people, either it is exaggeration in the righteous people. This is one way shirk appeared in the ummah. And the other way that shirk appeared in the ummah is by way of venerating the, the stars, the celestial bodies, and believing that they have an influence upon the creation, and you know, then worshipping them. And you know, so, so we see that this is another type of shirk. These are the two types of shirk. Either the shirk of the people of Nuh which is ghulu in the righteous people, or it is, and this is just you know, people's emotions and sentiments, uh, uh, shaitan playing them from that angle, or it is the shirk of the people of Ibrahim like Nimrud and those people. And this is these people being taken by their knowledge of, of, of the stars and the celestial bodies, and them being led to believe that they have influence upon the events on, on the earth. And so therefore they start calculating their positions and erecting stones and idols for them to be worshipped and things like that. So this is more of a philosophical, astronomical type of shirk. And this is more of a, like, you know, involves emotions and, you know, attachments and things like that. These are the two foundations of all shirk across the whole of the dunya. And the various nations to whom revelation was sent, they became influenced by either this shirk or that shirk or both types of shirk. So we see from the Yahud, for example, when they lived amongst the nations, amongst the Egyptians, or the, sorry, the Bani Israel, because the name Yahud comes afterwards. Bani Israel, they lived, lived amongst the Yahud, lived amongst the Egyptians, they lived amongst the Persians, they lived amongst the Babylonians, and they acquired all of this, you know. Uh, worship of the stars and the magic and uh, you know all these things they picked up from the nations and so their deen became mubaddal it became altered and distorted likewise the Nasara the Nasara who went to you know influenced by Greek and Roman paganism worship of men treating them as gods and humans at the same time which is what they did with the Isa all of the shirk from those two nations the nation of Nuh Salam and the nation of Ibrahim al-Islam, it carried through the nations, and all shirk branches off from these two. 
And then those who were given the book, like Bani Israel, uh, the people of Musa Islam, the Yahud, and likewise the Nasara, then they inherited some of the shirk, and the messenger of Allah Sallam, he came, and to rectify, as we see in the hadith, يُقَيِّمُ بِهِ الْمِلَّةَ الْأَوْجَاءِ That Allah will rectify the corrupted, the distorted religion by way of him. And that is exactly what Allah did by way of the messenger of Allah. He corrected the deen of the pagan Arabs who you know, had remnants of you know, what was supposed to be the, the way of Ibrahim السلام, but they turned to shirk. Likewise the Yahud, likewise the Nasara. And, and, and beyond the Zoroastrians, when the da'wah went to them, they entered into Islam. And so you see that all of these things which are mentioned in the Torah, how the nations will come, how you will bring light, how you take them out of shackles, all of this is you know, clear indication, a reference to the Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this brings us to the end of the third hadith. I believe this is the third hadith. Yes, this is the third hadith. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll conclude our lesson here. We'll continue with the next hadith um, concerning La ilaha illallah, which actually explains the levels of Iman, the levels and the components of Iman. It is the highest of the levels of Iman. And inshallah ta'ala, we will cover that in the next lesson. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.